Okay, we're beginning here on the bottom of Ayn Dalit Amadbet, the Gemara, the two dots. The Gemara says, Akorea Amatlit 4. Our Mishnah says, someone who tears with the consideration or intent of restitching it. Kriya b'mishkan mihavo. When did they do any ripping of this sort in the Mishkan? Rabba v'rabzeiro damre tovayu. Rabba v'rabzeiro both said, Shekain yiriash nafal badarga. A curtain that was affected by a worm or... Obviously, here we're talking about something like a moth, korinba, then they rip it open, vitofrimota. You can't just stitch up the hole that was made there by the moth. You need to tear above and below it in order to smoothen out that area and restitch it. Amrav Zutra Batuvia, Amrav. Now we have restatements that Rav Zutra Batuvia had heard in the name of Rav. Someone who pulls tight a stitching string on Shabbat is Chayav Chatat. Rashi over here says if you have two pieces of beged, two pieces of cloth that are stitched together and the stitching is loose, if you pull the ends of the string that's stitching together and that causes it to tighten together or firm up the stitching line between them, that is a problem of tefirah, of stitching on Shabbat. Anybody who learns even one item from the Magosh, Magosh is some sort of magician, a type of Persian avodazara, chayav mita, is worthy of death, someone who knows how to calculate the cycles and the constellations, and does not do so, you're not allowed to speak with him. Magoshta. This Magoshta that we're speaking about. Now Rashi says that when we're talking about the Magoshta here, the Gemara is asking, that we say throughout Shas, that Amgusha, what is that? Whether it's Mangusha or Amgosha, whatever the Girsa is over here. Tosafot brings from the Oroch that it's referring to a statement of Prabhupada and Moed Katan that Paro was an Amgoshi. And now the Gemara wants his querying about what is this Amgoshi. On the other hand, the Reese says that he favors Rashi's interpretation that the Gemara here is trying to address this word Amgosha or Magushta that's mentioned throughout Shas. Mishnayot in the bright dot, what is the definition of that? Rav Shmuel, Machloket Rav Shmuel, Chadamar Parashi, that he is a sorcerer. Chadamar Gedufe, that he is a blasphemer. As Rashi points out over here, Harashi is someone who performs witchcraft sorcery. On the other hand, someone who is a Gedufe is much more serious. It says he's a Min Haduk Bavarazara, person who is very tied in and drawn to Vodazara, and he continuously blasphemes Hashem's name. Mesitan Hashem Lavarazara. But not only that, he also draws others, or tries to bring others towards the worship of Vodazara. Let us assume, or conclude, that Rav is the one of the opinion that says that Amgushi is a Gdufi. The statement that we had before that was quoted in the name of Rav. Someone who learns even one item from the Magosh is worthy of death. If you think that he's really a sorcerer, we have an apostle, one may not learn how to perform sorcery. You're allowed to learn about sorcery in order to understand it and to teach others either that it's false or to be discerning between whether someone is a sorcerer or a Naviyamet. If that's the case, then when Rav makes a statement that one may not even become close to someone who is called an Amgushi or Magosh, it must mean that he's referring to something that's dangerous. That which is dangerous is this person who is very tied into Avodah Zarah, and he draws others to the worship of Avodah Zarah, so one should avoid him like the plague. They shouldn't talk to him at all. And you're Chayav Mitav if you talk to him because you really bring yourself into danger of being drawn into his trap. As Rashi says, Even with the Torah, you cannot learn from him. It's not only things that relate to Avodah Zarah, it's in any conversation, because he has such a dangerous character, we don't allow you to engage with him at all. So there we must conclude that Rav is the one who says that an Amgusha or Magushta 
is the Gedufe and Shmuel's the opinion that Magushta or Amgushi is a sorcerer. I'm Rabbi Shuman Pazi, I'm Rabbi Shuman Levi, Mishum Bar Kapara. Anybody who knows to calculate the cycles and understands the constellations, and does not perform such a service or doesn't do this, and he does not do such a calculation, on him the Pasuk says, They have no regard for the works of Hashem. And they don't even consider the works of his hands. This is someone who has the ability to see the Gadlut of the Bria. And of a Kosh Baruch Hu's placing of the cycles of the planets and the Mazalot and the understanding of the complexity of the cycles in the calendar. And yet he does not do that. That person is as if he is ignoring God. Amar of Shmuel Nachmani, Amar of Yochanan, and some say Amar of Yonatan, Minayin Shemitzvala Adam Lechashev Tukvot Mazalot. How do you know that it's not only is it important, but it's a mitzvah? For a person to calculate the cycles and understand the constellations, Shinemar, Shmartim Vasitem, you should guard and do these mitzvot that Hashem has given to you. Because this is your wisdom and understanding to the eyes of the other nations. What type of wisdom or understanding is parent to the other nations? That is the calculation of the cycles and the understanding of the constellations. Rashi says something amazing over here. He says, He's able to predict things in the future based on the, the way the sun moves, the way the constellations of the planets are moving around, and it's as if whatever he says comes true. Shakol ha'itim, because anything to do with time, lefim halecha chamar mezalotah, has to do with the way the sun enters into the mazalot, the constellations, the twelve, v'toldotah, v'mazal talui hakol. Everything is dependent on that. Lefia sha'ar hamadchel l'shamesh b'tisah chamar l'mazal. Which mazal is in place when the sun comes into effect or comes arises uh, on that day? So he says that all of this can be calculated and understood, and a person can then have a ability to predict that which will happen in the future, and that will show the tremendous wisdom and knowledge of these individuals to the other nations. Hatzad Tzvi. Mishnah says one may not capture a deer on Shabbat. Someone who traps or captures the snail that has within it the materials to make techelet and argaman, vapotso. And he splits it open to get its blood in order to use that as the dye. You only have for one thing, which is tzad, for capturing the animal. When you squeeze the blood out of the snail, it's the equivalent of dash. Dash, where you trample on the grains to separate out the stalk from the head of the grain. So it's over here, when you're squeezing out the snail for its blood, you're taking the blood out of the snail itself. Amrlo aim tziah b'chlal dishah. The Chalamim responded and said, tziah has nothing to do with dishah. Amarovo, Rovo comes along to explain, what does that mean that tziah is not a part of dishah? It sounds like a view that has a good claim. So my time in the Rabbanan, what's the position of the Rabbanan? Kasavri, ain't dishah like dule karka. Dishah only applies to things that grow from the ground. Now obviously the snail does not grow from the ground, so it's not relevant to our discussion over here. Now the Gemara asks a very obvious question. What about the fact that when you squeeze the blood out of the snail, it dies? So why aren't you chayav for taking the life of the snail over here on Shabbat? That he squeezed out the blood when it was dead already. So there's no taking of life here on Shabbat, and there's no chai. Even in a case where he squeezed it out while it was still alive, if you still will not be chayav, for taking the life of the snail to get its blood out. It's just a sidebar, the fact that he takes the life of the snail. Over here, mitasek is not like what we just saw in the previous dapim. Mitasek means that you're engaged in one activity 
and something else happens, as Tosafot points out over here, the word mitasik in this instance means deinu mitkavein. He does not intend for this outcome. He does not want this snail to die. He simply wants to take the blood out. He has no interest in the snail dying. Umar says, wait a minute, okay. He may not have any interest in the snail dying. He just wants the blood to come out. But he knows if he takes the blood out, then the snail will die. And that's what we call psikreshe. That is something that will automatically happen. If you remove the blood from the animal, it will die. And psikreshe, everybody agrees, even when it's enomit kavain, even when you do not have intention for that outcome, nevertheless, you are held culpable. Shimon, who's the author of the position in Shabbat, the davar she'enomit kavain, Something that is done unintentionally on Shabbat is mutar. Yet, in a case where you chop off the chicken's head, you don't want to kill the chicken, you just need the head. But you chop it off to get the head, and then it dies. It won't die? Of course it's going to die. And since when you chop off the head, it will die, you're going to be held culpable for that. So over here too, even though you just want the blood, we know by taking the blood out, you're going to kill the animal, and you should be held culpable. It's a psikreshe. As long as it's alive, the longer it's alive, the better it is for him. Because the color of the blood or of the dye is better when the snail is alive. The longer the snail is alive, the better the value of the blood and the coloring of the blood. So he does not want this snail to die. The way Rashi interprets it here, this happens to be a major machloket amongst the Rishonim. I'll try to send out the Mikorot on this. It runs the gamut in terms of the positions here. But this is what we call something called psigreshe delo nechale. It's a psigreshe, it's something that will automatically happen, but you do not want the resultant effect or result of your action. So generally, when you have a psigreshe, you chop off the head of the chicken, and the chicken will die. In terms of your consideration, you just want the head of the chicken, you don't want it to die. On the other hand, if the chicken dies, it's not really relevant to you. You don't really care whether it does or does not die. So that's the classic case of psigreshe, and that's where Rashi says, Rabbi Shimon says, Rechayab. On the other hand, in a case where you do care, like over here, where you'd prefer it didn't die, over there, there is no din of psikreshe. It's a psikreshe de lo nechale, that he has no interest in, does not want it to happen. It's not simply a psikreshe de lo ichpatle, psikreshe that he's not interested in the outcome, he's indifferent between the outcomes, there, as she says, you'll be chayab. Rather, it's a psikreshe de lo nechale, he does not want the outcome to happen. Over there, you would be patur, or possibly mutar, depends on the shita tarishonim. Tosafot disagrees with Rashi's interpretation over here, and Tosafot consistently says throughout Shas that a psik reshe, where you do not want the outcome, is what we call a melacha shein tzrichah gufa. It's a melacha where you do not result in the intended outcome that was done in the Mishkan. In the Mishkan, when they shechter, they killed the animal, that's because they wanted the animal dead in order to remove the skins from it, in order to utilize the animal. Over here, when you kill the animal, you're not killing it because you want the animal dead. You're only killing it because you need the blood out. And that's called melachashe in tzricha gufa. And that is Tosavot's position with regards to a psikreshe de lo It's a melachashe in tzricha gufa. And we know that Rabbi Shimon believes by a melachashe in tzricha gufa, it's patur aval asur. And that's why over here, and it's not considered to be a problem of netilat neshama, at least midoraita, midorabanan, there might be a problem. Midoraita, it'll be patur. Midorabanan, it'll be asur. These are some of the opinions. Later on in the Masechta, we will also see additional opinions of the Geonim, who believe that Psikreshet Lonechle is mutar the gamre, is completely mutar. And Tosafot over here does not bring that other alternative opinion, but he does express the opinion that he does in these other places that is against that opinion, which is that Psikreshet Lonechle is a Melachash and Tzrichel Gufa, and not mutar the gamre. This is a Shas Sugyo, it's Rav Shas that it applies, and here is just the tip of the iceberg of the Sugyo. Now the Ri did ask, okay, Let's assume here that he didn't want to take the life. 
But we know that if you drain the blood out of an item, that you are chayav for netilat neshama. Draining the blood is the equivalent of killing the animal. And since you do want the blood, why is that not classified as netilat neshama over here? So the Ruta'inu Tam answered and said, The dam chilazon, mifkad pokid. That the blood of the chilazon is not flowing through its system, it's captured inside of the snail. Lo chayev aloto dam mishum netilat neshama. And therefore you're not chayav for netilat neshama. Adam acher But what about the lifeblood? He says the blood that is used from the chilazon that allows for the dying of the tchelat in Argaman is not lifeblood. It's a captured sack of dye, and that dye, when it's released, well, does not necessarily mean that the Chilazon, that the snail will die. On the other hand, when you do take out of that blood, other blood comes along with it, and that will cause it to die. But he says, with regards to the other blood, you're not chayab, because you don't want it to die. You'd rather the other blood stayed in the body in order to keep it alive. And therefore, that's why, over here, you're not chayab, even though you're taking out the blood of the snail. After the Mishnah mentions that there's a problem with capturing its Tzvi on Shabbat, it also says it's a problem of Shechita. Shuchet Mishum Chayav. When you do Shechita, what are you Chayav for? Rashi says, Shechita B'Melechet Mishkan. Heicha. Where was there Shechita on the Melechet Mishkan that we have to worry about it? Umayavidei. And what was its purpose? Why do I have to shech them to get the orot to use for the mishkan? I could have simply killed the animal. I don't have to do shechita in order to get the resultant effect that I want. So why do you need shechita on the mishkan? That's the way Rashi poses the question. On the other hand, Tosavot says, It's not going to shechita in our mishnah. General shechita. What is the din? What's the problem with shechita? So that's a machloket. It's a problem of tzoveya, dying coloring the neck of the animal from the blood that is emitted. Because you're killing the animal, you're taking the life of the animal. That's the problem in Shechita. So the Gemara says about Rav, Mishum Tzoveya in Mishum Netilat Neshama Lo. How is it that Rav thinks that there's a problem in Shechita of dying, but there's no problem of taking the life of the animal? Ema, so you must have to say, Af Mishum Tzoveya. Rav's opinion is not simply that you're Chayav for taking the life of the animal, you're also chayav because of tzovei, of dying the neck of the animal. Amarav, milto de amre, emaba milto. That which I stated, my opinion, that the problem of shechita is tzoveya, let me say something about this. So the further generations won't come down. And laugh at me. Why does he want the animal's neck to be dyed? That he wants the beta shechita to look red. And full of blood, okay? Because then people will see it. And they will come and buy it from him. The people will know that if there's blood, it's red around the Beit HaShchita, that that was a fresh kill. It was a fresh Shchita. So when they come to buy the meat, they know they're buying very fresh meat or recently shechted meat. So he has a value or an interest in allowing the necker to become red. So that's why he's not only Chayab for Nitilat Neshama, he's also Chayab Tzoveya, because he has a vested interest in having the neck be red, so that it looks like this is a fresh meat or a fresh kill. Then the Mishnah continues and says that there's a problem of Mocho. You're not allowed to salt the skins that are taking off the animal, Vamabdo, and to tan them, to work them or tan them. Gemara says, Hainu Moleach, Hainu Ma'abet. That's the same thing. The reason you put the salt on them is to tan, to work the skins, and that's what Ma'abet is. What's the difference between them? Both of them say, You're right. They are the same thing. And therefore, combine them into a single Malacha, and put in Sirtut. Sirtut is the marking of the animal before you cut it. We also use Sirtut today when the Sofrim, when they write in the Sifrei Torah and the Tefillin, they mark lines to keep the line 
line straight to keep the letters straight. So sirtut is this marking that allows you to cut properly along the lines. So that would be another malacha that we add in when we take out one of the two of malach and me'abed. Someone who salts their meat is chayah because of ma'abed, because of working the skins or tanning the skins. Rav Amar, Rav Simichlori said on the previous Amod says, Ain ibud bochlim. There's no such thing as tanning or working the skins, working food. That's true by skins. That's where, true by leather. That is not true when it comes to foods. Now, Tosafot points out over here, Ain the hatir mikan melichat says from this, you can't just say that you can salt any food. It's no problem. Tasumi derabanan melichat. Nevertheless, there's still an isu derabanan. Here, we're only talking about on a deoraita level. On a deoraita level, then there's no isur when it comes to ochlim and putting salt on them. But that's not true when it comes to a derabanan level. So even though there's a principle of any budbochlim, that still doesn't give you a blanket head there to do Ibn Ochlim. It just clears you from a problem Doraita, but still retains the problem Midrabanan. Amar Avashi Vafilu Rabba Baravuna Lo Amar Elo the Kaboyle Lo Orcha Awa the Beta Lo. Rabba Baravuna, who's the one who said when you salt the meat, it's problematic, he only says that when you need to preserve the meat for a duration. You need to preserve it over time. But if you're simply going to keep it in the house and you salt it, that's definitely not a problem in Ba'abeid because nobody's going to want to make their food into something hard and dried out. The reason that you salt is to preserve. Now, you would salt a little bit in order to preserve it and keep it in the house. But if you're going on the dairy, if you're going to travel, then you would salt it significantly. And that does dry out the meat. And it does dehydrate the meat. and makes it into something very hard. equivalent to maybe a beef jerky. So that nobody would do if they're planning on eating it. They would do that if they're planning on traveling. So that's closer to ibud. That's closer to the working of the skin or tanning of the skins. But that's, that's not something somebody would do at home. And therefore, only if he salts it so significantly that it would be ra'ui to take it on the road, would he, Rabbi Barahuna, think there's a problem of salting the foods. Even Rabbi Barahuna would agree by salting the foods, if you're keeping it for your household use, that's not significant enough salting to be considered ma'bit, considered tanning. Ve'amimachako is that he smooths it out, he takes the hair off and smooths out the skin. Ve'amachatcho is that he cuts it to the dimensions that he wants. Someone, according to Rashi, who smooths out the, the floor or the dirt that sits between the pillars, if he flattens it out and smooths out the floor, then he is in violation of Memachek of smoothing out. Tosafot brings from the Rabbeinu Hananel an alternative, which is the Shaf Ha'or Al-Amud. Rabbeinu Hananel suggests that the Shaf is the skin. The leather that is put around the pillars, if he smooths that out, then he is chayav mishum me'umachik. Amar Rabbi Chir Ba'av. Rabbi Chir Ba'ava says, Gimel Dorim Sachli Rav Ashi Mishmei Dorim Shua Ben Levi. Mishua Ben Levi. That Rav Ashi told me over three things in the name of Mishua Ben Levi. Someone who planes or cuts off the tops of the beams on Shabbat to even them out, chayav mishum mechatech. Then he is chayav mishum mechatech. Mechatech means to cut to a specific dimension. And over here he's doing that. He's, pl- he's planning them out, sliding out all the beams to their same length. And that is Chaya Mishum HaTeich. Someone who puts on a bandage and smears the bandage and the cream that's on the bandage onto the wound. Chaya Mishum is Chaya for smoothing out something on Shabbat. Someone who cuts down a stone, something that's already been hewn from the ground, taken out of the ground. Now he cuts it down so that it's a nice shape. Chaya Mishum Patish is Chaya for pleading, finishing off the work of the stone. Now as Tosafot points out over here, this is a stone that was already quarried. A stone that already had some shape to it. It was either a square 
or something that had a rough shape to it, and now you're just finalizing or finishing off the shape. And that's why you're chayav here for makeb patish, because you're now doing the final step in what is needed to make this stone usable and have its utility. Assuming that the stone was cut out or quarried for this purpose. Amar Rabbi Shimon ben Kisma, Amar Rabbi Shimon ben Lakish, Hatsar Tsurabikli, someone who draws artwork or figures on a utensil. Someone who blows glass. Again, because he's completing the work here. This utensil was intended to have artwork or a design on it. By doing that, you've now completed the work of the utensil. Same thing with the glass. The glass was made in a way that it was to be blown and formed into a shape. If you do that, then you're... Someone who pulls out a thread from a jacket or a cloak. That's only if he's makpid on it. If it's bothering him, it's something that he feels is residual on the bag. It's not complete until he does it. Then he's chayav for it. Rashi actually brings here a number of interpretations about exactly what this shakal akufi is. He says the first one is Roshei Chutin Hatguim Biriyah. These are the ends or the beginnings of the string that are on the weave. Bemakom Kshurim. They're tied up. Ukshinitek Bachut. Or if you have little splinters or little pieces of wood, toothpicks that are inside of the baguette, and they were left in there accidentally, and you pull them out after the weaving is done, that is all considered to be Gemar Malacha, because that finishes off the cloak over here. All of these items are residual. They don't change the weave of the item. They don't do anything in terms of real malacha, but they do what we call makebotish. They finish it off. It makes it complete. It gives it a clean look, a crisp look. And if you put this on, you feel that there's some loose strings hanging out, or there's some little strings popped out of the weave, or little pieces of wood that were in there, caught in there, that were sticking in, and when you pull those out, it makes you feel better and feel that the bag is really complete now, then you're chayah mishum makeh bepatish. The Mishnah continues with the next malacha, which is a kotev shteotiot, someone who writes two letters. Tarabanan, katav otachak dola, v'yeshbim person writes a, a very large letter, which takes up the space in which he could have written two letters. There he's pator, but machak ot dola, if he erases a large letter, a single letter, v'yeshbim komal, in that place you could now write two letters then he's chayav because the mechika has to be enough erasing in order to write two letters so it doesn't mean that he has to erase two letters he just has to erase a space that would be ra'oi for writing two letters in it so therefore when he writes only a single letter and when it's a very large font over there he will not be chayav because he actually has to write two letters on the other hand if he erases a space that obtains now one letter but it's enough to write two letters in it then he would be chayav this is one of the stringencies that applies to erasing over writing that erasing you'll be chayav in this instance whereas in writing you would be patur these are the final malachot mentioned in our Mishnah these items or any item in the Mishnah where there's a final stage to it and you complete that final stage, you're chayav for makeh bipatish. Elu avot milachot. These are the avot milachot. Elu, so what do you mean these are the milachot? Bafuke midrabi Eliezer. This comes to exclude Rabbi Eliezer. Amichayev al-toldah b'makumat. Because he says that not only is an av chayav v'chatat, but even a toladah, even a derivative or a subcategory of the av would also be chayav. If you did both the av and the subcategory, you'd be chayav tu chatot. Our mission says, Elu, only these would you be chayav for. If you did all 39 of them, you could only be chayav 39 chataot. You would not be chayav anymore. According to Rabbi Lezer, you could be chayav more. And therefore, this Elu comes to exclude that position of Rabbi Lezer. These are 40 minus 1, meaning there are 39 malachot here. 
This comes to exclude the position of Rabbi Yehuda. The Tanya, Rabbi Yehuda Mosif. Rabbi Yehuda adds on additional melachot that we do not have in our Mishnah, which are Hashovet v'amidakteh. It's closing up of the weave and the beating of the woof. Both of these are smaller melachot that are done in order to finish off the parts of the weave. And Rabbi Yehuda puts them in as being full-fledged avot melachot. Amrullah, Bechamim responded to him, Shovet, Harihu Bechlam Mesach. Shovet, the beating down of the weave is part of Mesach, is a part of setting up or stringing out the loom, and therefore it's subsumed under that of Melacha. Medakdeik, Harihu Bechlam Oreg. And Medakdeik, the beating of the woof, is part of weaving. It's part of the process of weaving, and therefore it's a subset of the weaving, and therefore they only count 39 Melachot, whereas Rabbi Huda adds these additional two Melachot, which our Mishnah says are only 39, so obviously it comes to exclude that position of Rabbi Huda, who thinks that there are more Melachot, or we know that it's not in the list of Melachot that are mentioned in our Mishnah. Okay, the next Mishnah is, V'od Klal Acher Amru. The Mishnah now says there's another principle, general principle of Shabbat. Remember we began with Klal Gadol, so now here is the Od Klal Acher. There's another Klal here in Shabbat, Kol HaKasher Lehatzniya. Anything that, yeah, something that is made for utility of a person, people would utilize such an item that was put away. Umatznim kamoam. And normal people would store such an item. Ve'otzio bishabbat. And then you carry it on Shabbat. Chayav chatat alav. Then you would be chayav chatat for taking it out. V'chosh eno kashalatznia. Something that is not what people would normally use or utilize. Ve'in matznim kamoam. And people don't store this type of item. Ve'otzio bishabbat. Eno chayav alav hamatznio. Then someone who does store such an item, he would be chayav for carrying it out because he's given it, as Rashi says, chashivut. He's given it significance by the fact that he stored it, but his Storage will have no impact on anybody else's decision. Now the Gemara says, Kola Kashela Anything that is normally utilized by individuals, what is that? Lafuke Mai, what does that come to exclude? Rapapa Mar Lafuke Damnida. That's talking about the blood of menstruation that people don't store. That's not something normal that is utilized by people. The wood of the Asherah, of the Asherah, because you have to burn it. You have to get rid of it. So it's not something that people can utilize. It's Asur Asherah. The one who says that people don't usually store Damnida, certainly they don't store Atzei Asherah. Damnida is just Maus. It's something that's disgusting, so people don't normally keep it or utilize it. Atzei Asherah is not only something that's Maus, it's also the one who says that or something that is not for utility of people, people do keep this around, even though it's a little ma'us, because l'shunra, to give it to the cats to eat. People don't do this, because if the cats eat the blood, that causes weakness in the individual who the blood came from. Cats eating that blood will cause weakness in the individual whose blood it was. And therefore they do not feed it. And therefore they wouldn't keep it around. This Mishnah is clearly not like the position of Rabbi Shimon, who we'll bump into later in the Masechta, that if this is something that normally is stored by individuals, and this is a quantity or an item that most people would put away and store, everybody is chayav for taking it out. Even for an individual who normally would not store such an item. He still will be chayav because we call betela dato adam. He will be subject to the level of shi'ur or normal position of individuals to store these items. He'll be subject to that shi'ur even though for him it's not something that is significant. So that's what our Mishnah says. That is not like Rabbi Shimon. Dik Rabbi Shimon because Rabbi Shimon believes, that in order for you to be chayav, you'd have to store such an item. And since an ashir would not store such an item, he would not be chayav. 
Our mission indicates that as long as the robe of people would keep such a thing, everybody is chayav, even though they wouldn't store such an item. Rabbi Shimon believes it's all subjective. It all depends on whether you would store it. If you would store it, then you're chayav. If you wouldn't store it, you would be patur. Anything that is not ro'oi to be put away. This is not like Rabbi Shimon Lazar. The Tanya, we have a bright klalama, Rabbi Shimon ben Lazar. Anything that is not kasher to be put away. This person decided he wanted to put it away and to store it. And then a third party comes and carries it out. The fact that this individual subjectively made it chashuv and stored it will now cause culpability for other parties. Because since he gave it significance, now when someone else carries it out, they'll be chayav for melacha and Shabbat. That's not what our Mishnah says. Our Mishnah says that the subjective shiur of making it chashuv is only applicable to the individual himself who made it chashuv. Then he will be culpable. Nobody else will be culpable. But Rabbi Shimon Lazar says that when you give an object chashivut, that applies not only to you, but to anybody who would come along then and carry out that object that you made chashuv. That's why our Mishnah cannot be authored by Rabbi Shimon Ben Lazar. Okay, we'll stop over here.